You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Welcome back to the Sprott Money News at SprottMoney.com. Ask the Expert segment. It's now February 2023. We do these once a month. And uh, this month, our guest is John Rubino. I, of course, am your host, Craig Hemke, and it's always a pleasure to welcome John. He's been on this podcast series before, certainly an expert monetary policy, uh, has been watching the economy and the dollar for years as the former proprietor of dollarcollapse.com, uh, and certainly someone you want to listen to whenever he's out there talking or writing on his new Substack. So, uh, John, thank you for joining me here this month uh, in February. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me back. It's great to see you, my friend. Before we get started, a reminder, uh, this content always brought to you by SprottMoney.com. So give them a thank you. Either like or subscribe on the channel that you're watching this, or certainly just keep them in mind whenever you're in the market to buy some physical metal or looking for a place to store your physical metal. SprottMoney.com, always great deals on bullion. You can go to the website or you can just give them a call at 888 Eight six one zero seven seven five. You can talk to a human being and they'll help you out. Um, John, I, I mentioned this in passing as we were getting started here. Tell everybody what you're up to now. You're no longer associated with dollarcollapse.com? Hey, Craig. Now I have a um, Substack newsletter. It's at rubino.substack.com. And it's, um, it's basically aimed at actionable um, ideas. In other words, you know, we know hard times are coming and it's going to get very strange very quickly, but um, what do we do about it? So that's that's what I'm focusing on there. And it's, uh, it's got a free um, sign up subscription option. So you can come in, sign up for free, see most of the content and then kind of uh, see what you think of it. I've noticed it getting picked up by Zero Hedge. Uh, so, I mean, there's great value in what you write, John, and I would encourage everybody um again it's rubino r-u-b-i-n-o dot substack.com yes hey go check it out folks again it's not going to cost you anything to put that on your favorites list and make sure you get notified every time john's got something new about how often you're writing something these days john oh i'm popping something up almost every day these days there's you know there's so much going on (laughs) yeah there's no shortage of material for uh for the world as it is today well, and I, I think that's extremely valuable this year. I, you know, if, you know, I, I, I've been doing interviews since the first of the year where people are interviewing me and, and I've been kind of promoting my, my own annual forecast that I write every January. And I've, I think I've tried at least to conclude every single one of those interviews by asking people to find as many independent and objective sources of information as possible in 2023 because this is this is one of those years where the markets and the media uh the the bankers the all financial services everybody's going to try to wrong foot you uh the information is going to come at you so fast that it's going to be easily easily to be kind of misled into the wrong corner so find as many trusts uh independent uh, sources of information as you can obviously these videos from sprout money are one something like john rubino's Substack is another one that you should make sure you're monitoring, uh, I guess, on a daily basis, John. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, my friend. Hey, um, for the top for the today's discussion, you know, we always solicit questions from Sprout Money customers uh, for these Ask the Expert segments. Today, though, a lot of them came in in mainly two main categories. So I thought I'd kind of do things a little different. We're going to kind of subgroup this into just kind of two sections, and we'll spend some time on both. Both of them, right? 
in your wheelhouse. And so I think everybody will benefit from uh, hearing what you think. Let's start with that that first big topic. And that's what, you know, everybody's watching day to day, all this stuff from the Fed. You know, we, we entered the year with uh, gold rallying, the dollar falling, bond bond uh, bond market rallying with lower rates. It seemed like everybody thought, well, we're going to get one more rate hike, which is what the Fed was telling us coming into the year. And then they'd pause and then we'd see what the damage is. And then where we now stand here in late February, it seems like ah, they're just going to go pedal the metal. Consequences be damned, even though they who knows what the consequences are going to be. What are your thoughts um, on where the Fed is headed, where this, how long this keeps going? And you know what? I'll add on one. Does it even matter how far it goes, John? I'll just leave it that and let you take it from there. Well, you know, last year was traumatic for all the world's central banks. We we had 10% inflation. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. you know, their target is 2% and it's ar- arguably 2% is, is um, even too aggressive of, of an inflation rate for a supposedly stable currency. We had 10%. The dollar lost 10% of its value last year. So that... Um, that gave the um, the central banks of the world, including the Fed, kind of a kick in the pants there. You know, they they had screwed up on a monumental scale. They almost let their currencies get away from them and almost ignited a hyperinflation. And they don't want any part of that from now on. They know they have to get inflation under control because the alternative is catastrophic. Uh, so they've been raising rates um, as aggressively as they ever have. Um, rates went up much more in the 1970s, but they didn't go up any faster than they have so far. Um, and I think you could make the case that, uh, well, first of all, they're, they're probably going to keep on raising for a little while just because, you know, what, what they went through was so traumatic. They don't want a repeat of it. But I think you can make the case that they've already raised too much if they want to have a growing economy in the year ahead, you know, it, it, for two reasons. One is that um, rates at their current levels um, with the Fed funds rate is around what, 5% now and and yeah. um, across the treasury yield curve, it's pretty much that too. And that has translated into almost 7% mortgage rates, mm-hmm. which means the cost, the monthly cost of buying a house has almost doubled in the last two years. And houses were already prohibitively expensive. They were unaffordable two years ago. Uh, And then the prices went up and mortgage rates went up. So you're seeing the housing industry in the U.S. just crater. Um, There are a few places I've I've heard from friends in Florida and Montana where they say, you know, know, it's still booming here. But uh, across most of the country, um, people just... Well, they they never could really afford houses at the prices of the last few years, but now they can't afford the payments. So home sales are tanking, home building is tanking, and and that's a very big deal. Housing is a a big part of the economy, financially speaking, and an even bigger part psychologically, because <clears throat> you know, let's say you buy a house for two million dollars, and now it's down to one point two million, you feel stupid and you feel poor. And you're not going to, you know, take an exotic vacation or upgrade your Tesla or whatever now that you feel poor and stupid. And uh, that reverberates throughout the economy. Spending is going to crater, if for no other reason, because housing is tanking. Um, But there are other reasons. Uh, You know, at the same time that um, housing is tanking and interest rates are up, um, a lot of people in the U.S. are having to put day-to-day expenses on credit cards. You're seeing credit card debt just soar 
which means a lot of people are are carrying balances, which means they're paying 22, 23% on those balances, which also makes you poor and makes you feel stupid. Um, so you've got um, basically two big sectors of the economy. Consumer spending um, is going to be weak because credit card debt is so high. And spending in general is going to be weak um, because houses are um, are tanking right now. So uh, those two things alone should give us a recession this year. Uh, and, you know, but, but it's worse than that because... Um, monetary conditions are going to continue to tighten no matter what the Fed does. Let's say they stop um, raising interest rates right now. Well, you've still got all the debt that was taken on in the last few years that has to roll over. And that's going to roll over at much higher rates, whether you're a government or a corporation or, you know, an individual, if you've got, say, a business loan with a limited term or something like that, or an adjustable rate mortgage, your interest costs are going to go up dramatically over the next few years, even if the Fed just stops raising rates and stands pat, which means the tightening will continue um, from where we are now for quite a while. And I, I, you know, you can make the argument, which I just did, that we're already too tight, that we're already heading into a recession. So in effect, monetary policy is going to tighten into a downturn this year. And uh, I, I don't think the Fed really has, in their own mind, they don't have a choice. They've, they've got to set things up the way they're set up because they have to get rid of this inflation. But um, I, I think there's a big risk of a much more serious recession than anybody expects right now because there's so much debt out there yeah. that, you know, a normal bear market in stocks and a normal downturn in housing and a normal contraction in the economy um, – those things could metastasize into something a lot more serious just because so many um, over leveraged entities out there could blow up in the process. So that's what we risk. You know, it could be that by the end of the year, we're in a very deep recession and the Fed is um, going back to easing again, you know, just because it's such a crisis, they feel like they have no choice. So, you know, that's chaotic. And it means that the guys in charge really have no idea what they're doing. But that's been the case for maybe 30 years now. You know, the, the central banks of the world flat out don't understand what they're doing. They, they're working with models that are flawed. So the inputs are giving them the wrong outputs and they're making the wrong decisions. And that's how we got these gigantic booms and busts. Um, and, you know, the last bust, which was the pandemic, was pretty catastrophic. But the one that's coming, if we have a recession that turns into something, you know, 2008, 2009 on steroids, um, then that bust is going to be bigger than any previous busts. And it's going to require even more monetary easing to, to prevent a 1930s style deflationary depression. And, and um, so at that point, I think it's really the end of the, um, the fiat currency fractional reserve banking world. You know, the system that we've lived within our entire adult lives is finally going to break down and um, currencies that aren't backed by anything are going to fall into disrepute. You know, the whole concept is yeah. going to be discredited. So yeah, we're, we're in a very exciting time, <laughs> not, <laughs> not a pleasant time. And uh, for most people, not a happy time, but uh, from a economics nerd standpoint, you know, this, this is uh, something for the textbooks and it's fascinating. Well, and, and, and that's why I ended that question with, does it even matter? Because I think as precious metal investors or even just general investors, 
in 2023, the information comes at you every day so quickly and it's treated with such urgency. You know, I remember the phrase, the tyranny of the urgent, not getting caught in the tyranny of the urgent. And that's kind of what I feel like, you know, and oh, the Fed, they're just going to hike and hike and hike and hike and hike. And it's always going to be this way and it's never going to change. And I don't think that squares with history. And as you said, and I just double back to this before we get to topic number two, the, they're so focused on what's directly in front of them, you know, like a cat. You know, they're not really, uh, doesn't, they don't seem, they're not really giving thought to the lagging effects. You know, they don't really have any models, you know, to go from 0% to 5% in 15 months. They've never done that before. So they don't have any, any, any models that they can fall back on. They're just kind of flying by the seats of their pants. And so I wonder, John, getting back, like I said, as I ended that first question, does it even matter the, if the, they're just making it worse and the, the worse they make it now, the greater the upcoming QE, the sharper the upcoming rate cuts. Does does it seem that way? Oh yeah. Well, well once they panic because um, a bunch of big banks are, are failing and mm -hmm. um, whole sectors of the economy are just shriveling up and down. You know, they, they will have to go back to cutting. Yeah. And they will have to cut aggressively. You know, that that's definitely out there somewhere. It's just a question of timing. How how soon does the economy turn down? Um, at what point do some very big entities start to get into trouble and need to be bailed out? And and um, and then does the Fed have to ease aggressively to make all that happen? That That's coming. And it yeah. could easily be this year, could easily be by the end of the year, we're back to easing again. Right. And uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if we had to cut interest rates even lower in the next cycle than they were in this last cycle. Where where they say, look, we'll just we're going to have to accept five, six, seven percent inflation in order to prevent the collapse of Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank and you know the derivatives books of all the and and, and so on and so on and so on all of these um, these entities out there that are basically zombies now and will not be able to survive a deep recession and will have to be bailed out because of that um, we're going to need to um, accept higher rates of inflation in order to prevent all of that from happening. Right. Um, but then you're into the realm of the uh, the Austrian School of Economics crack-up boom, where people realize, oh, okay, this is it forever. You know, we, we will never be able to go back to 5% interest rates uh, across the uh, treasury yield curve or anything, because look what happened. It, it destroyed the global financial system. So we're always going to have inflation. We're always going to have aggressively easy monetary policy. And because of that, why would I want to hold that currency? You know, so you get a critical mass of people deciding that inflation is the um, the new normal and acting accordingly by bailing on the currency. Whenever you get paid, you uh, you convert your paycheck as quickly as possible into real stuff. You buy a rental house or farmland or gold and silver or energy stocks or anything that governments can't just make more of on an electronic monetary printing press. And so that's the big capital shift that's coming out of financial assets and into real assets. And that's the uh, that's when gold and silver really shine. You know, I, when, when that happens, um, the amount of um, investable capital in the world that tries to get through that little door, you know, those small mm -hmm. markets for gold and mm -hmm. silver will just be immense and it'll just mm -hmm. send them to the moon, you know, and uh, 
it doesn't really seem like there's any way around that scenario. I mean, other than nuclear war or aliens landing and making contact or something like that. Um, but, you know, in the course of more or less normal life, we've kind of baked this cake. And, uh, and in that cake is rising inflation, increasing monetary instability, and a massive shift of capital into real assets and out of financial assets. So, um, you know, it's a good time to be stacking for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as we've always said, I mean, there's really, since 2008, there hasn't been a bad time. Um, John, you've kind of walked me right into that second broad topic that I want to cover with you. Uh, what year did, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, what year did you start dollarcollapse.com? Okay, that that website was originally a um, a marketing page for a book that okay. James Turk and I co-wrote called right. The Coming Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It. Um and that was t- 2004. Okay. So, so I, you know, over, over time it turned into a much broader based website and then I eventually I sold it last year and it's it's still being run very well. People should still visit. There's a lot of good content there. And, but it has and, been and a that's long what time. I'm getting at with this next question. That that was a very valid point in 2004, obviously. Uh, But the movement is, it's not necessarily glacial in its pace, right? But the movement takes a while. I mean, this is not paradigm shifting events, you know, where one currency, one reserve collapses, and then you move to the next one. Well, a lot of times they're punctuated with war, but it's not something that generally happens overnight, you know, that found a new foundation has to be laid, you know, the have trust has to be built up, all this kind of stuff. So it's, you know, it's 20 years ago now. And people might say, well, 20 years, but no, the movement has been, we've been going that direction. How the second question, I guess, for you, how has have we sped up at all? You know, not, you know, a big massive. Uh, increase of speed toward dollar collapse and alternatives to the dollar and that you know, the role they play. But how much have we sped up just even in the last 12 months? How much closer are we to that end of this current system? Well, we're a lot closer to the next crisis. You know, as I okay. said before, in- interest rates are high enough now that it's um, it's completely possible with just rates at this level that a lot of industries will really tank. Some of them will will get into serious trouble and require a big bailout. So there's our next crisis. Now, the question is, does the psychological phase change happen when the central banks of the world start cutting aggressively again? In other words, do people realize that that's, that's it? You know, that this is our future for as long as we're going to live. And let's act accordingly. And I, I think there's a decent chance that that's the case, that people, um, having seen the last few years where it's possible for inflation, for the cost of living to uh, go up by 10% in one year, you know, because we, we've always had inflation um, during, since the 1990s, during the, the main part of the super cycle in credit. But mostly that inflation was... Um, was narrowly focused. It was financial assets, stocks, bonds, and real estate, which we consider to be good things when they go up. It was still inflation, but it wasn't inflation as it's defined by the average person. Well, the, in the last year, we had inflation the way you know normal people think of inflation, eggs going through the roof, toilet paper shortages, yeah. you know, the, the cost of pork chops doubling, things like that happened and everybody noticed it. So now they're shell-shocked. Now they do not want that to happen again because, you know, people... Coming out of that inflation, 
um, are putting day-to-day life on credit cards because they can't afford this new cost of living. So they're going to be very sensitive to anything that implies that that's what's coming back. And when the Fed starts cutting interest rates dramatically, that's going to be a signal to them that, oh, maybe we're going back to, you know, 2022. That was horrible. <laughs> I still can't afford to uh, to feed my kids and put gas in the car and pay the rent. Um, and so we get kind of a financial panic, but uh, not necessarily from the, uh, the financial establishment, but from regular people who all of a sudden, you know, when they see a commercial for gold or something like that, they, they think, okay, um, there's some urgency here. I should probably do that right now. You know, I should probably buy some gold because what if uh, we head back into another double digit inflation time? And, and, and so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point when people start acting as if they expect inflation to dramatically increase and they start buying real assets, which sends the price of those real assets up, then you get a resurgence in inflation. You know, this time it'll be in um, in industrial metals and and uh, food and things like that, but uh, it'll be inflation nonetheless, which is to say it'll be a dramatic decline in the value of the dollar versus the stuff you buy with it. So, um, and that's what that crack up boom concept is. Yeah. That, um, yeah. you know, people changing their opinion and losing faith in the currency brings about the demise of the currency. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy once inflationary expectations become um, unanchored, as the Fed likes to say. You know, when, once um, people can't see any end to the process, they don't expect the present to be like the future. They expect the future to be a lot worse. Um, then the system spins out of control. And that's really what we're risking. And, and you know, that's out there somewhere. And it could be this time. It could be that uh, this is the the cycle when it happens. This is the bailout that finally freaks everybody out. So I I think by year end, we'll know. John, what threat, uh, additional threat, I guess, does the de-dollarization, you know, it's kind of the loose term that gets used. uh, What additional threat does that play here in 2023 and beyond, you know, where it's pretty active discussions now. Uh, We'll loosely call them the BRICS nations kind of working together to create, you know, a at least an alternative that they can use to the SWIFT system and the dollar reserve system and everything else. What, what role, I mean, how much is that on your radar for kind of speeding this process along, uh, you know, in terms of making the dollar worth less? That's potentially a big part of the story because, uh, you know, to set the background, the U S has used its reserve currency status and its control over the, uh, the bank clearing system, the SWIFT um, bank clearing system as a weapon. Anybody who steps out of line from the um, the opinion of the uh, American empire uh, risks having its foreign exchange reserves frozen or having its banks kicked off the international clearing system or any number of other things that the U.S. has the ability to do uh, because it controls the world's reserve currency. Well, that, you know, a lot of other countries don't like that, obviously, and they're looking for alternatives. And this past year... Um, an alternative really coalesced. Uh, as you said, it's the, the BRICS um, nations, which is Brazil, um, Russia, India, and China, coming together and um, talking about setting up an alternative currency, an alternative bank clearing system, and inviting other countries into that uh, currency union. And other countries are lining up. Even Saudi Arabia is talking about joining. So if, if you... Um, 
take the population and the um, the natural resource base of those countries, you've got a very formidable part of the uh, the global economy um, looking for ways to bypass the dollar. So that, that can't help but add to dollar weakness going forward. Because basically, if uh, let's say 30% of the dollars that are now held out there for buying oil and for foreign exchange reserves um, aren't needed anymore because uh, the BRICS alternative currency and trade systems are allowing countries to use other currencies. Well, those dollars have to go somewhere and they will come back here more than likely uh, and bid up the um, the price of US-based assets, which is inflation. You know, So the, all those dollars coming back will be inflationary, in other words. What if it's even 10 percent you know <laughs> well you know pricing happens at the margin in um in finance most yeah. of the time and 10 yeah. percent would be a big marginal change so yes. yeah that that could be that could be a thing that could be one of the things you had that 10%. tips us over yeah it 10 percent at the this level and then the next level adds another 10 percent and it, i mean it incrementally goes up and you think again in this terminal stage of crack up boom inflation which it's certainly if it's not this end of this particular fed cycle it's going to be one of them people are going to i mean it's going to become apparent uh everywhere that you know this all they're ever going to try to do is keep the plate spinning um we certainly see them on the cusp though of something uh i'm not necessarily i don't know if it's terminal yet or not but boy we're on the cusp of what's going to be an interesting 2023 no doubt about that yeah, uh, this is going to be a fascinating year because yeah. so much has to happen and so many decisions have to be made. You know, we've we've got to decide what to do when the economy slows down, whether we uh, continue to fight inflation until it gets squeezed down to 1% or or do we um, just go right back to easing because we don't want a bunch of big things to blow up. That That's a hugely consequential decision that has to be yeah. made this year. Yep. So we'll know a lot more. You know, next time you and I talk, we will have much better information than we have right now, I think. Yeah. How about hit and one last thing? History would suggest, I mean, three times now, 2008, 2010, and again in 2019, they made that choice. They said we could either keep, you know, playing our games or we can start cutting to keep the plate spinning. They've, they've chosen the latter. You figure history is any yeah. guide, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the only tool they know really right. e easy money. That's that's basically what they've grown up with. And it's what it's worked every time. So these guys would love to go back to it. You know, they 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 just want to make 100% sure that inflationary expectations are squeezed out of the system. But the minute they think that they'll go back to cutting in a big way. Yeah. You know, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see uh, negative interest rates re-emerge around the world sometime in the coming year you know yeah. it's, it's it's going to be that bad when things start blowing up so yeah i agree with you unfortunately i it's hard to see any other way out uh john i want to thank you for all you do and remind everybody like i said i just can't emphasize enough you need as much objective independent information as you can find if you're going to see your way through this rubino.substack.com should be on your list and uh, the work of John Rubino, it, it just benefits all of us. So, John, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Craig. Talk to you soon. And, and I, we will definitely visit again soon. And please, everybody, please be sure to thank SproutMoney.com for this content. Give them a like or a subscribe or stop by SproutMoney.com and 
get yourself some physical metal, get it in your own hands, because again, that's really one of the only really few ways that you can protect yourself against all this coming madness. We'll have another Ask the Experts segment for you next month. But for now, thank you for watching. We'll talk to you again soon.